Knowledge is power, and we are all about empowering the mamas of the world. In each episode, we will unravel and interpret the latest research and evidence-based practices for pregnancy, postpartum, and motherhood. As mums and researchers ourselves, we have experienced firsthand the overwhelming complexity of information, myths, and those classic old wives' tales. I'm Dr. Renee White. And I'm Dr. Mika Petucci. And, and this, this is... is- the Science of Motherhood. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 49 of The Science of Motherhood. I'm your co-host, Dr. Renee White, and... And I am Dr. Mika Batucci. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Today is our check-in Tuesday episode, which you get fortnightly. On the other alternative week, you obviously get one of our wonderful long episodes where we interview a researcher or an expert in the field of pregnancy, postpartum, birth, women's health, and all the other wonderful things. So if you are a long-time listener, (laughs) thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in. But if you are a first-time listener, hello and welcome. What you will discover if you go back into the catalogue of our other 48 episodes before this is that we have borrowed a question from the lovely Brene Brown and at the end of each of the episodes we ask our guests, what do you keep on your bedside table? And today, Mika has come up with a great topic which is for us to talk about what's on our bedside table because you're probably thinking, or you might not have, maybe you don't care. (laughs) What we keep on our bedside tables. Can I just add and jump in, this is not in relation to my bedside table, but I often feel like when we ask the guests, there's this moment of like uncomfortable, like, (laughs) almost like, I feel like there's almost like sometimes like a sexual, like, is there, you know, yeah. like that? And it's I'm, like, like, <laughs> I'm like, not in your drawer, in your bed, on yeah, your I'm bedside not, table. <laughs> I'm like, books, like knitting, hobbies is what we're looking for. We've had some pearlers, like some that have made me like almost cry. Like some of the stuff, like people keep really sentimental things on their bedside table. I think one of my favourite ones was Pam, Dr. Pam Douglas. She was, I don't remember what it was. It was either like a little sculpture or like an image of something and there was such personal like significance to it and I I don't think I was ready for it. Like we just had such a serious conversation around sleep and feeding and things like that and she just blindsided me with like this, Oh, and I was just like, oh, my goodness, that was amazing. And then we get people who are like, I think B from Poor Floor and Restore was like, I don't have one. <laughs> Period. Yeah, and I was like, great. Because she it. co-sleeps. And so oh, they've just got a mattress on the floor and she's like, we don't have a bedside table. And I was like, great. Okay, fantastic. Thanks very much. Goodbye. <laughs> it's so interesting. I think it's really telling about a person, like what's on there and whether it's like, you know, purposeful or not or practical. Yeah. Um, I have to say mine gets messed with a lot with little kids. Oh, God, yeah. Like the things that go missing and touched and mucked around, like like my hand cream is like the best thing ever for my kids. 
they just love it and they're always playing with it and my little I've got like a silk sleep mask which I don't use it often yeah it gets much so it's like what's my kids little playground so what's on there often changes but mm. um but yeah it's um there's no crystals I'm gonna say Renee there's no crystals no well because well, there's little I'm disappointed Mika <laughs> I expected more of you <laughs> I do I know I remember when um Megan Teltner from the US or Canada 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 had crystals on hers and I was like yay that was such a special podcast for me but no I don't because dangerous for the kids but they are in other parts of the house up hidden away from children I feel like there's no safe place to put things at the moment like they can get to all my spots anyway I am getting off topic but what's I, on your bedside table Mika I have to say I'm loving reading so books and it's not something I did for a long time so baby boy is almost 20 months so I try and read now but I didn't for a really long time and I missed it I don't know if you're the same after being a researcher and reading so much. Oh God! Back in the re- yeah. in the lab days, yeah, it really ruined enjoy a like, personal reading for me. Yeah, because did um, you feel like, oh, I have time to read like a novel or something, and then the guilt would come in, and you're like, I should be reading like a scientific paper or you know something like that, because that's what I felt. That was that's how it ruined it for me. Mine was more like exhaustion. Like I've read and I've yeah. done critical analysis and all of this all day. Like I, you know, I should be nice to escape to a book or a fantasy or something. But no, I just haven't wanted to read and, and just the time and energy back then. But now I love it. I, even if I just read a page or two before going to sleep, mm. I just feel like it's that really soothing. It's almost like a mindfulness meditation just to be present and read the words. And I'm I've got three books. I never used to be someone that would read. Yeah. No, I just want to, I just recall something talking about like the love hate type thing. And I wanted to get your opinion on this because I've enforced, and we were talking off air about boundaries. I have enforced a rule now before you go into your selection of books, and I'm sure they would all fall into the good category of this. But I have decided that if a book does not captivate me in the first 50 pages, I don't keep reading. I'm oh, not interested. Oh, I because that because I, I because I have done this before where I've like persevered with like a book and I'm like, this is not getting any better. And I'm wasting minutes and hours with this book. And I'm just like, I finish it. And then I'm like, well, that was an absolute waste of time. Like I find now as a mum, I'm like, minutes matter. And if I have a moment to myself, that was too many M's in like one sentence, then I am absolutely, I'm going to do it again, going to maximise my time. And so I'm just like I have enforced a rule that you got, you got 50 pages, baby. If you, don't, if you don't capture my imagination or I don't feel like I could sit up till 2 o'clock in the morning with this, then I'm just not interested at all. And I I put the book down, I send it back to the library and we're done. Oh, I'm a library fan too. Oh, yeah, God, I'm not paying for books. Uh, <laughs> Unless it's a really good one and I'm like, yes, I want to support the author. Yeah. So back on to the first thing, I am the same. I'm not reading too many new books, to be honest, that I haven't read before. 
Oh, okay. Um, I'm a bit of a, at the moment. I'm sort of rereading books that I've read before. I've got one new one, which we'll talk about in a minute. But yeah, I would never give it fifty pages. Like to me, I need to be getting gold out of it, and I'm not. I'm reading for more like information and like to be learning rather than like you know novels and, and stories like that at the moment this is just what's interesting me and I think going to be helpful with for myself and the kids but yeah I wouldn't give it that long like I'd I've got to love it but I uh, yeah I'm I love the library too that's my um sounds so boring doesn't it I love the library I love the library I think it's I great love, it's actually such a lovely thing to do with the kids just yes I like I get them from childcare on a Tuesday and they finish early and so it's like we just go to the library and get books and I'm just like I want them to have a passion for reading not pressured mm-hmm. but just a love of books and I'm always reading in the you know the parenting books that we read like get caught reading as much as you can by your kids and I really love that so I usually borrow it from the library and like I read it and go oh my gosh I have to buy it. like I need a copy yes. in my house yeah if I need to like start marking up pages like yeah 100%. Page. <laughs> yeah I was like that we the book you wish your parents had read and your children will be glad that you had and there's a few others but yeah usually within 50 pages I know I'm like I need to buy this or thanks library you've saved me whatever but I've got an oldie but a goodie so I'd say at the top of the pile can I just jump straight in yeah go for it let's see Dr Oscar Serilac's the postnatal depletion cure because I'm feeling depleted I'm not gonna lie when did you first pick that up was that post Bubby number one? Yes, definitely. I can't even remember how I got onto it. It might have been from my local GP. I think it was mm. in her office and she recommended it. And I just, I remember reading it and it's been a Bible to me mm. all of these years. And I think, you know, even people I know who are not in the early days of motherhood, I think would benefit from the wisdom of these pages. Like, you know, a, People I know in my life and family that have trouble sleeping, I'm always, read the sleep chapter. It's so informative. So I I love this book. I, I find it really easy for my limited time at night or energy and time just to flick, find what I'm interested in, read a bit, learn a bit, and then I can apply it. So mm-hmm. I love it. And I love at the back there's this quick little appendix of how to get feeling better quickly. And I think, you know, for so many mums, like, trying to read a book and learn and put everything into action can be quite challenging. So like he's got a six-week accelerator plan. So I often just like read through that and refresh myself or go back and look at a chapter. But there's just so much. I, just, I love this book so much. I think there's so mm-hmm. much in there for mums in terms of, you know, health, you know, and just feeling well on every level, like emotional, physical, mental, spiritual, sexual, I, I, you know what, reading this for the first time, I think I felt, you know, I tell you tell people you're tired or you tell people you feel different as a mother and I just felt understood by a man. And it was, you know, and I think him being a doctor gave it some credit as well. Like it wasn't some mm-hmm. hippie practitioner that, you know, you would yell at me for singing. For <laughs> um, a long time, I still get that. But it was just, it was so refreshing. It just felt like it's not me. I'm, you know, I'm not doing something wrong. There's something not wrong with me. And, you know, he's a really big encourager of the village and so much of what we advocate for as well. And I think the work he's doing in this space is incredible. And I'm just so glad this resource is out there. And to me, it's just, it's really helpful. I'm looking forward to implementing some steps again that maybe I haven't been following for a little while for different reasons. I just, I love it. Can you tell? (laughs) 
Yeah, totally. <laughs> I, I had a similar experience when I read his book. It was kind of, and people who subscribe to our um, village weekly newsletter, I recently wrote something on sleep and how that affected me very personally. And having that aha moment when I read Dr. Pam Douglas's The Discontented Little Baby book, and I was got really upset reading it because I was just like similar experience like oh my god like someone is finally validating all the feelings and emotions and the physical draining energy that's come out of me and it was very similar experience when I read the postnatal depletion it was just like Oh my God, yes, because I remember having a conversation with my therapist going, I don't feel right, like, and kind of by default putting myself into that, I think I have postnatal depression, right? And she was like, you don't, like, you do not have the hallmark signs for this. And I remember, like, pleading with her because I think we do this as human beings, it may, well, particularly with A-type personalities like myself, we want to we want to diagnose us, right? Because we want to know, okay, well, this fits in the box, and once we diagnose, then we can kind of we've got a game plan on you know the solution or like the treatment or something like that. And so I was like almost begging her to say and like agree with me that I had postnatal depression. She's like, you don't, Renee. Like you just don't. Like postnatal depression, you know, you're getting out of bed and still caring for your daughter and your husband's able to go to work and you're still kind of like, you know, managing the house and, you know, out in the community. You don't have this kind of postnatal, the hallmarks, you know, of postnatal depression. And I was like, then what the hell is wrong with me? And then when I read that book, I was like, that's it. I'm depleted. I'm not depressed. I'm depleted because I was a complete loon and thought that Tim Tams and toast was a really great postpartum um, diet. Spoiler alert, it is not. Spoiler alert, probably started the whole business. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I remember when you and I were sitting down kind of working out, okay, what is this? What are our values? What's our mission? And it's like, well, this is the Bible. I know. (laughs) You know, like that. Lily, Pam, like they are the top three books but definitely in um, in kind of my life. And if anyone's listening and you want our top five list of books that we kind of advocate for and kind of have formed the foundation of Fill Your Cup, send us an email and in the subject line just write, I want your top five books and I will send the links to you and let you know why we love them and all the gold that you can get from them. And there's such good books for coming back to, I think, you know, any oh, time, yes. like, you know, in the future, yeah. feeling depleted or you need some, you know, different tips and suggestions. I agree. And that's so much in what you said. Like I felt the same way with Pam's book, the discontented little baby book. I felt like oh, just I think being re research-minded and the fact that it was evidence-based was so reassuring for me because I did have people sleep training around me when my daughter my first didn't sleep for because she was baby she's a you know (laughs) what do they say like we're still giving birth to stone age babies like she doesn't know that I want a full night's sleep or I'm getting pressured and what's normal and what's not normal um he was a shocking sleeper and it was really really hard and people like just 
you know, you can't complain because you're tired because you're not sleep training. And it's like those two mm. things are separate. Yeah. But reading her book, I will say it scared the bejesus out of me at what, you know, sleep training can do yes. short and long-term. And I'm not saying that to guilt anyone or make anyone feel bad. It's more raising an awareness about why you would be doing it. And I think just being aware of some of the outcomes as well. And like we always do in the business, if a mum is trying to sleep train, we always look at why. And so often it's like she's not supported so she can't yeah. get rest to deal yeah. with the baby who Yes, so it's about supporting the mum and making sure that she has the energy and ability to care for the baby, you know, because they don't sleep through the night from whatever week's age, which is really important. So I think her approach is really great and I loved your newsletter that you sent out. Actually, when I read, when I read it, I was like, can I go back and do it again? And you know how mm. mums say that to you when you're a new mum? I wish I could go back and just relax and enjoy it all. And I... You know, I wish I could with lots of ways and just lean into that. I think the word that always comes to mind is like uncertainty. And when you're talking about wanting that diagnosis, and I think, you know, I really understand where you're coming from because I've had so many moments where I don't feel well, I don't feel like myself, I feel like that's normal, that's motherhood, or you are wanting a label because, you know, especially if you've had a career in, you know, not necessarily just in research, but you've been you know, you've achieved things, you're a professional or, you know, I'm sure it encompasses lots of different people, but when you're being very logical in your career and having success and then going to being a mother, there's usually not very much overlap. It's like from mm -hmm. one to the other and that's like trust your intuition, you know, you need to figure out your mothering style and I think it's such a, a hard thing to do with all of the information out there or the misinformation out there, another mm. reason why we started the business, is hard and it's just nice when we can put everything neatly in a box but rather than just sit with it and go, what's really going on for me? Like have my values changed? Am I depleted? Is that, you know, am I low in something? Like I think these books have just got so much wisdom and that's why I do come back to them time and time again and I'm just so proud of what we're doing, trying to help other mums through this and trying to normalise like second time round with baby boy, even now, like there's moments where I'm like, oh, we should be doing this or we should be doing that around sleep or food or mess. And I'm just like, I love it because I just lean into the, you know, the moment of it and yeah. the the joy. I think we're just taking the pressure off myself. Anyway, I'm getting very heavy, but it's true. <laughs> I hope this is helpful for the listeners. It's just such a process. I think motherhood just really does it cracks you wide open and you know I'm still learning and enjoying and struggling like it's you know it's all of those things but that is definitely a go-to I just love it I love picking it up and I love it's very easily easy reading as well I think this, yeah it's very yeah. simple I like the food tips in it because obviously we're addicted to food yeah yeah that's a really good one. And then, of course, another reread for like I don't know how many times. Is, <gasps> there it is. It's from you. You're like, Mika, I've got this book. It's got a <laughs> flip card at the back and you like, this is the day we're having. You go to it and you find, I remember you telling me about this so vividly. And I was like, I need that book. And it changed my life. And I don't say that lightly. It was so wonderful to understand my children better 
and it would just change everything that we do together. At any time I'm sort of feeling lost or uncertain about how to handle situations or, you know, move through transitions with them, I come back to this. Like we're not yeah. trying to sell copies of the book, I promise, at all. We don't sell anything. Tell tell everyone what we're talking about for those people who can't see the video. Oh, sorry. The whole brain <laughs> I'm just like holding it up. The whole holding brain child by Dr. Dan Siegel and Tina Bryson is amazing this is their first book they've got a few others but um again it's all evidence-based it is Mm. written by people with academic backgrounds and it's 12 revolutionary strategies to nurse to nurture your child's developing mind survive everyday parenting struggles and help your family thrive and i think it does just it does and it's um like as you kind of just touched on the one of the things that I loved about it was it was it is that book that you take off the shelf every so often and you kind of recalibrate depending on the age of your child so it's got this beautiful kind of grid of okay your child is x age um you know kind of one axis and then the scenario is on the other axis and then it gives you the tools of like how to assist them through that process based on their developmental kind of stage, right? And I love that because we can't treat a two-year-old like we would a 12-year-old. Like it just doesn't work. And I think sometimes there's this expectation, and I'm probably going to say something that's going to ruffle feathers and if anyone knows me personally, they know (laughs) I like to rock the boat. Send an email. But I, yeah, (laughs) complaints (laughs) at... (laughs) But I don't, I don't believe in the troublesome twos. I don't believe in tantrums. I don't believe that children try to manipulate us. I don't believe in any of that kind of stuff. It is simply a fact that a child cannot regulate, self-regulate, because their brain has not actually grown to a stage or you know connected synapses to be able to regulate emotions and in order for them to process emotions which are typically very big emotions and that is what people categorize as tantrums or manipulation they require an adult to do that for them they need to be able to create a safe space for them to regulate and process those emotions and dan siegel's book is just sensational and do you know what i really love about it too and i think he might even touch on this in the book it's the fact that when an adult comes and reads this book you actually if you haven't already learn how to self-regulate yourself oh oh my gosh i think there's a lot of there's a lot of unprocessed um, baggage from, you know, us as as grown-ups and we go, oh, okay, that's why I react like that to my child because that triggers me because I, you know, wasn't supported as a child myself. And so you then learn about that. And I think another thing that I love about that book is he he goes into detail around the fact that humans are so adaptable. So if you missed a step in self-regulation or, or something like that, you can go back, you can relearn that and you can build those synapses and those pathways again and then you can help your child. And so the damage is not done, like it's not finalised. You can always go back. 
Oh my! I think that's just true for parenting in general. Yeah, like anything is repairable, and actually, I actually love in these books, and also the other one that the book you wish your parents had read. That repair is actually an opportunity to really role model to your children that you're human and you've made a mistake and you're owning up to it. But which I love because you know it's like oh, big pressures on parents and mothers to make the right decisions all the time, and it's going to impact them in twenty years. You know, I think having that safety net of we can always come back and redo, relearn. But I just wanted to go back to a couple of things that you said. They really jumped out in terms of the list you said. And I'm just going to add a few things on top. Like, Mm. we don't believe in timeouts and kids being cry alone. And I'm going to go any age, which includes babies and cry it out is just that's not something that I believe in knowing all the research and the evidence. It's also not innately comfortable with me Mm. because these, and you're right, like kids learn to soothe themselves by being soothed by an adult over and over and over again through that learning of emotional regulation. And you're so right in that a lot of adults, and it is in the book, don't know how to do that. And you will, when you read the book, you'll think, oh, my boss, can actually and often these people are very highly successful because they're very self-focused and they're on them they're on their own and they're quite good at getting to the top of different things but like you've got a boss that flies up the handles or quite rude or a bully or speaks to you inappropriately it actually all makes sense to me and it's like they just they just froze in their emotional maturity so for me like where I'm now I used to say I wanted happy healthy kids and now I want them to be healthy, but mm-hmm. I want them to be emotionally resilient to handle life. And the way I'm going to do that is by teaching them. And through examples, yeah. like we talk yes. about, I say like failures, what failures did I make today? Like we don't talk about it every night at the dinner table, but I know there's games you can get about it. What yeah. mistakes did I make? Or if I forget something at the shopping supermarket, I went like, oh, I forgot that either driving home or the next day when I need whoops, I forgot something, that's okay. I'm trying to normalise all these things so I don't just seem like I've got the gap from my children to me seems so far. But just on that, I think the number one takeaway for me with that book is connection with your children. And I think it's often the step we forget because, you know, we're out in public and they're having a meltdown or their systems boil up and people are looking or you're at home and a family member comments on their behaviour or whatever it is, but I think learning to connect and empathise with your child, the benefits, I can't even list them in this podcast. There's so much to it. And I think, you know, it creates a relationship where we've talked about in the past, like having communication with them now when they're little, so when they're 12, 15, 18, they're going to still want to talk to you. Mm -hmm. I think waiting till they're adults to start developing that relationship can be leaving it a bit late. Yeah. You know, when they're having that meltdown, so here's an example. You know, your toddler's having a meltdown, you try and rationalise with them what's going on. It's the same as, say, you're drowning and a lifeguard, as an adult, a lifeguard's coming out to get you from the water, Renee, and before they get you out of the water when you're about to go under, they start lecturing you on why you shouldn't be swimming in the rip when, you know, you should know better. And it's like, actually, we'll get you out of the water, we'll bring you to shore, we'll calm you down, we'll make sure you're safe, we'll check all your vitals. And when everything's calmed down, we'll talk about that later on. But you're you're not receptive to the lecture, well, not the lecture, but the information at that point. You need to be soothed and held and understood. 
I just I wish they would get rid of all the BS that come in the hospital bag for new parents and put in these books. Mm. I believe if all children were raised by parents who've read these books and take away their key messages from them, I do believe the world would be a different place. It's just, you know, and, you know, my mum's like, these books weren't around for me and, you know, it's different now. I think it's more acceptable. But, again, I agree it's learning to regulate yourself and, you know, parent yourself if needed. I just, I love it. I love learning. Like, I love the science. Mm. But I also love the application because I think it just gives me permission to do what feels natural as, as well a lot of the time. Absolutely. And I like, I think the science element, you know, albeit we are scientists and so we kind of gravitate to, you know, that type of language, but I think the science and and it's not heavy, right? Like it's still very digestible, I think. The science and understanding the biology, the physiology, the evolutionary mechanisms behind why the brain is what how it is at, you know, newborn versus infancy versus child versus, you know, adolescence. There's a reason why it evolves the way it does. And I think having that basic understanding, and this goes with anything in human nature, whether it's relationships, business, you know, anything, if you understand the why, it makes things so much better because moving forward, you can adapt that to other situations. You're like, oh, why is this happening? You know, and then you're like, oh, that's right. I remember because of X, Y, Z. And it's just so much it's so much easier, I, I personally think. Oh, I agree. And, it is easier. Yeah, that's what that's what I took from Dan's book. I was just like, oh, I totally get that. And similarly, like I was getting my parents to read the book and they were the same. They were like, oh, my goodness, there just was not anything <laughs> like this. And so there was, a, I think it was in his book, you know, there was that discussion around um trauma like if something happens like there's an accident that happens you know and it's as basic as because our kids are like top heavy because they're giant big heads <laughs> you know there's a lot of falling over like there's a lot of knee grazing in those kind of early years and things like that and I remember I read a section in the book about it and he was talking about the fact that they will want to relive it Yep. over and over and over and over and over again and as parents like you know prior to reading the book I was probably like oh my god let's not talk about it because she clearly got very upset and so you go falling equals upset child and of course people don't want their kids to be upset so yep okay good darling that's fine okay yep we go, we get it and you dismiss right and then after reading this chapter I was like Oh, okay, that's interesting. Because the reason why, why they want to talk about it nonstop, they want to relive it, they want you to come to the spot, they want to show you, they want to reenact the whole process and shout it from the rooftops, is because that is their mechanism for processing the trauma that has just occurred. And so I was talking to my parents about it, and they were doing childcare one day a week when we were in Melbourne. And there was, there was a whoopsie. There was a running down the street, tripped over, fell, grazed knees. And so they were then armed with the information around the fact that pretty much for the next three weeks, when they came over, they had to relive the experience when they were doing, you know, the usual circuit around the local streets. Oh, Papa, 
that's where I had, that's where I fell over and then I did this and this is what, and then I cried. And so instead of going, it's okay, darling, that's fine, like this, I was like, really? Okay. And then what happened? And then I think the dialogue that he, and the language that Dan was um, recommending was making sure that at the end of it, you go, and were you okay at the end? Like to kind of piece together trauma, 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 but were you okay? Yes, you were okay. Okay, good. We can like, and that's the point of moving on. I found that so beneficial and we still do it. Like Eva's five now and, you know, if there's a whoopsie, then she does. She wants to relive the whole thing over and over again. And that's actually really quite healthy. So so don't dismiss people, like let them relive it. It's helpful for them. I think so too. I think I had the same thing. And I think when you're busy with everyday life, oh yeah, talk about it again, and you're like, hang on a minute. And when you understand the importance of this processing, I couldn't agree more. It just like, I agree. I think it just makes life easier. And when you lean into it and address it and give them the time they need to, you know, make sense of it. They're kids in a world. They don't yeah. know what we know. I think sometimes we, oh, I definitely get, you know, have high expectations. No, 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 they're four. In 20 months, like they don't know, they're learning. I agree. And then they're reliving. And I think you also suggest like with big transitions, like writing, like doing a photo book and talking about it beforehand and preparing. Mm. And I and I do believe, like I've seen it in our family, like these things make a really big difference for all of us, but they yeah. just to connect and learn. And I agree. I love, I just love it. I, love, I think it's just like vital reading for everyone. It should be actually when I buy everyone for Christmas. I think they're amazing. And I just think the insight into kids' minds. But and I think actually in the book as well, he comments on the fact that parents don't know so anything about their kids' brains and how they yes. work. And, like, we know so much about other things, other parts of their bodies and their development. But yep. the brain, which governs, like, everything. Everything. <laughs> don't know about. And it's, like, it needs to be part of, like, I don't know if they added to birthing classes or something, but, like, mm. it, this information has got to get out. Um, and we're so proud to be pushing it as much as possible because we and we're not sponsored but again we're happy to be sponsors <laughs> the wedding that chocolate sponsorship to go through oh yeah have you tried them yet just on an aside i haven't oh, i haven't i don't know if i can get them here in tassie i saw a little but we discussed i can get them online right yeah i think they're uk based but you can they might have a local place it'd be definitely down in tassie Oh, yeah. Fine food destination. But then the last one, we have time for another. Yeah, go. We're going to go for the trifecta. This is a new one. one? This is their next book. um, Oh. Best-selling authors of The Whole Brain Child. It's No Drama Discipline. I don't have this. Mm. I, yeah, it's like the next step. So The Whole Brain Way to Calm the Chaos in Your Child's Developing Mind. And so I, I love it because the first thing they talk about is the word discipline and what it means and I hate what most people think discipline is is like smacking your kid and yelling at them and sending them to their bedroom and that just leaves them like what just happened I had a feeling which I don't understand and then I got punished in whatever way that might be and now I'm left alone yeah huge feelings that's a bit of a summary of how it can happen so this is, I haven't read all of it, so this is a new one for me and it's just giving some more information in terms of the brain and also just different strategies and connection strategies. So there's a really good example in here that was talking about, um, I'm going to find it now, but we had our four-year-old needles recently for my daughter mm-hmm. and the example was in the first 
picture. They have like little pictures, which really help. I don't want to get my needles from the child and then the parents saying something like, oh, don't worry, it doesn't hurt, you don't need to worry. Which, oh. You know, but like you, that comes It does hurt. You're lying to them. I know, but it's like you're trying to protect them and it's coming of course, from yes. a good place. And I think, you know, when I read all the before examples, I'm like, oh, it used to be me. Whoops. But then the second example is, you know, instead try this. Oh, I don't want my needles, says the child. And you lean in and go, of course. It's like it's really normal for you to feel nervous or anxious about the needles. It is going to hurt for a minute and then it will be over. We all have those feelings about needles or just like normalising the feeling mm-hmm. and the experience for a child so they don't feel like they're in the wrong for having those feelings. They know what those feelings, like naming it, naming yes. it same. Name it to tame it, which is one of the lines from the books. I think just I like that. Treating Name them like an adult, yeah. like you know, treating them like a human with respect. Like, no, I don't want a needle either. It has to happen. Let's explain it. Like, I get no, I don't love a needle, but once you've had no. a, it's like a pin cushion, so it's like whatever. But look <laughs> here, I think just dismissing and thinking you're too young to talk about it is not wise. Like, I had a friend recently. She's like, should I tell my six year old that? Uh, grandma's sad because she lost a friend. And I was like, yes, but at a level that's appropriate. I think it's never too mm-hmm. early to talk about feelings. Yeah, I agree. Children. And I just think, you know, that's not necessarily how I was raised. And I think it's really important to validate kids and just, you know, kids being seen and not heard is such BS. Like, can we just move past that? For me, like supporting my children to, you know, be whole people and learn and be resilient, but also like take up space in the world in like a nice way and to be able to own their own feelings. Like I feel this or I want that and know themselves and know their personal boundaries. Like that's so important to me and that's, yeah, so that's why I've got the next book. So this is sort of a new, and I love reading this stuff. I find it so interesting. I just love the examples so much. That's what I love about Dan's books, the examples. So it's got that basic theory, but I'm a, like, I'm like, I need tangible, like, okay, this happens, what do I do? That happens, what do I do? Because that's the scariest part about parenthood. And we always joke, you know, ha, 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 you leave the hospital and you don't have like a, a kind of a game plan book of like instruction manual of like how to deal with with this new human being, but I find his books are probably as close as you're going to get to an instruction manual as to like how to raise, as you say, an emotionally kind of whole child. Um, And also like, I don't want to sound too airy fairy, but like a harmonious family as well, because if everyone's yeah, I just, I feel like if everyone's on the same page, um, we were talking about this, you know, with some extended family the other night around the fact that having a united front with parents is so fundamental because if you start sending mixed messages to kids, it's a slippery slope. It, think- it, it, it really can be and it's quite dangerous because they'll start to play off one parent from the other and or it's like, oh, hold on a minute. I could do that with this parent and not with that. And then it just, it's chaos. It's chaos. And children do not thrive in chaos. I agree. I think that's really dangerous in terms of 
I didn't get in trouble for this this time and I did hear like they need boundaries. They need to understand why they're getting discipline, which is to teach from some things and not from others. And I agree. I think, you know, it also makes life easier with your partner or your other caregivers in general. I just wanted to touch on one message from the book talking yeah. about tantrums and how what we say consciously or unconsciously can really affect the messaging of what they hear and what they receive. So mm-hmm. basically this is the message one. This is like what we're trying not to do. So you're on your own if you get angry and upset. I love you and I'll be here for you once you're done throwing your feet. But as long as you keep acting this way, I'm going to ignore you. So hurry up and finish being upset. So it's often not the words that we use, but if you react to a tantrum or a meltdown or whatever, emotional dysregulation in a traditional way, that's what a child's going to get. And instead they need us to be with them and provide reassurance and comfort when they're physically hurting. They need to have the same thing when they're suffering emotionally. They need us to be calm, loving and nurturing. They need us to connect. So here's the second message. And that's why I always love the second example. I need to memorise them all. (laughs) But it's true, like... You need flashcards. Imagine hearing this as a child. Mm. I'm here for you. Even when you're falling apart and at your absolute worst, I can take it. I've got your back no matter what. And that actually brings tears to my eyes as I read it because I don't think, I just think it's so important that our kids get that messaging. It's not spoiling them. It's nurturing them. It's loving them. And that's we all need unconditional love and I think that's such a beautiful way. And that's what I think when my kids are falling apart and having a really hard time, even if I think it's not a worthy reason, emotions are valid, whether it's an adult or a child. And I yeah. don't think because it's a child you can't dismiss it. You know? Exactly. And, and, and like you look at those scenarios and you kind of feel to yourself, if I was having a rubbish day, mm. like I've had a rubbish day at work or you've had a run in like at the local supermarket, whatever the scenario is, what would you prefer? Would you, would you prefer like to come home and, you know, your partner's just like hurry up and finish complaining and like having your emotional outburst or would you rather than be like, hun, that sounds really hard. I'm really sorry that you're feeling that and, like, giving you a big warm hug and holding space for you. Like, it's like apples and oranges, mate. Like, I know what I would choose every day of the week and twice on Sundays. So why is it that people think that children can rise above that by themselves? Like, they're tiny little people and they've only been on the planet for like five years or less. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me, this whole like, you know, especially the I'm a, I do not believe in timeouts. I don't see the value in it whatsoever. And I remember, I think it was in Dan's book again, he was pretty much like think about the modelling that you are setting. So you have an abundance of parents who have sent their kids for time out by themselves to evidently think about your actions. Like, I can tell you what a kid's going to be thinking about. Nothing. They have no idea because they don't know what they're processing. They don't have the skill set to do it, right? It's like telling someone to go make a crock and bush and they don't even have flour in the house. Like, are you kidding me, people? So they send them to the time out. Go think about your actions and when you're ready, you can come out and apologise. Okay, they don't have the skill sets. They don't have the tools. You've left them with nothing 
And so they feel abandoned and really just shitty about it. And you get those same people. Can you tell I'm very passionate about this? You get the same people who it comes to teenage time where there's a lot of hormones and we're getting a lot of quote-unquote teenage tantrums and they come home from school and something significant has happened in their lives, whatever it is, okay, it could be bullying, it could be relationship problems, it could be school, like whatever it is, and they go straight to their room, do not pass go, do not collect $200, straight to their room, they don't want to talk to you about it, and they will not talk to you about it. And you come in and you try and knock on their door and you're like, is everything okay? Yep, I'm fine. And you wonder why they don't want to talk to you about it because you have set up the role modelling that when you have a big emotional kind of moment, you are to be alone in your room and you are there to sort it out by yourself. You will not be given any resources from any external factors. And then they find themselves alone. And then parents are like, oh, they don't, you know, Jimmy doesn't talk to me about it. And I really wish that they would. Well, spoiler alert, you taught them it too, that it was not okay to do that. What do you expect? I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, moving on from that, no one likes to feel heavy emotions and anxiety. And we will all find strategies, good and bad, I'm going to label it like that, to deal with. And for children who are unsupported, like, you know, teenagers and getting older, like that can be alcohol, drugs. Yes. It can be really negative things or it can be like, you know, meditation, walking, activity, you know, talking, calling a friend. Like these are the skills we need to be teaching our children to handle. So people will avoid negative emotions. And I think that's why we're trying to normalise it with our kids. Mm. We feel them. We make mistakes, we repair. There's so many topics in all of this. But, you know, when you are having those feelings, it's okay to feel those feelings, even though they're unpleasant, and then finding a strategy that's going to work for them. And I just hate it to turn into those more, I would say, unhelpful strategies, which, you know, looking at the rates of domestic violence in Australia at the moment are through the roof and alcoholism and so many of these things that are really not okay and they can be set up in childhood. And it's just, I think, look, I think it's, I think it's really hard because I do believe parents are trying their best. And yes, I believe absolutely. like the message in message one is just, you know, if you're a parent who hasn't had that emotional regulation or you weren't raised to talk about your feelings, it can be very challenging Yeah, doing this with your child and they will push you and they get under your skin because I believe they're bringing something to the surface that you didn't get. Yeah. That you've got to choice to either deal with it or not deal with it and I am a big believer in self-improvement and self-transformation in lots of different ways and I do it for myself but I think my kids are my ultimate catalyst to improve myself in ways that are needed to heal and move forward with as much you know joy and happiness and emotional regulation in my life as an adult and I'll say I haven't always had that and it's a journey that I'm so proud to be on. I'm happy that my kids are seeing it in different ways and they're probably oblivious to it. But I just, I think if that's what's an issue for you and you're like frustrated and you're struggling, I think sometimes going a bit deeper and understanding that and 
reading these books can be really beneficial to understanding your why, why mm. this is hard for you and a different way that it can be. Because when it is that different way, and I don't always get it right or correct, whatever term you want to use, I make mistakes. Like the other day my daughter and I were just like yelling at each other, but like all day, like she was really pushing my buttons and obviously she wasn't happy either. And in the end, we, you know, she came up to me and she said, I'm really sorry, Mum. So she was full. I'm just going to own it. I was really proud in that moment. I don't mm-hmm. say that very often. She came to me first and she said, I'm really sorry for yelling. And I said, oh, I'm sorry too. You know, I got upset and I didn't know how to handle it and I yelled and we talked it through and it was just like we connected. And, I, you know, I love all the examples in the book. You can tell me anything without getting in trouble. We'll talk mm-hmm. about it later and deal with it. I just think having that communication for that exact example that you said, Renee, like mm. our kids are going to be dealing with serious stuff. Like the world is yeah. different to what it is now for boys and girls. But I'm going to say, you know, especially for girls, I think it can be more challenging in lots of ways. I just think setting these, uh, that's not the reason I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I love it and it feels natural and I want to enjoy my kids at this age too and have kids yeah. with them. But moving forward, and I'm learning stuff about myself, which you couldn't tell which is really great, I think, and it makes a lot of sense for me too in different issues I've had in the past, and it's great. It's really good. I just The books are amazing. They just, mm. yeah, that's my bedside table is just like books like this because I love it, and it's so practical. They're very practical. They're very helpful. They're easy to apply. They're easy to dip in and out of, and it's changing our house into a much calmer house. There's always oh, issues yeah. I know that. We're not going to live a problem-free life and things are going to happen, but just the way we try our best to approach them. Mm. I'm just I'm so happy I found these books and, you know, some of them are from you and it's just it's so lovely to be able to talk about it and try and normalise this too. And, you know, I know our kids are going to be so grateful for, what you know, what we're trying to give them. Yeah, and I think to me it's kind of like the the fundamental change is going to, come from breaking a cycle which is generations on generations on generations of you know this is how we've always done it and it's the hardest work you'll ever do to break a cycle that has just continued on mm. for so long but yeah you have you have you kind of and as you said your kids are your catalyst and so you only want yeah and that's for me and my values which might yeah sure everyone else's and I totally get that and I have respect for people to choose their own values um but I agree with what you're saying definitely um Mm. so yeah so that's um so they're the three books I'll I'll just do a wrap up for everyone so that's the postnatal depletion by Dr Oscar Serilak it's the whole brain child by Dan Siegel and Tina Payne, and also the same authors have written No Drama Discipline. You can get them from your libraries and come borrow mine. Don't I need them? <laughs> I was going to say I'm actually missing my favourite book, the Discontented Little Baby book. I was looking for it the other day. I was like, I think I'd let that out to someone, and it's that classic thing where you're like I wish I had 10 copies of this book Mm. because I just want to like you know give it to everyone yeah I think so without being like a (laughs) A book pusher (laughs) and on a lighter note I have a salt lamp 
I yeah. love my salt lamp. That was a thing, I think, from Dr. Oscar. What does a salt lamp do, Mika? So a salt lamp, well, I think it's got lots of things that it's said that it can do. Okay. The reason I have it is, like, one, I actually love the light that comes off it, but two, when you're waking up overnight to children that wake, it, the light doesn't, like, switch on and break down your melatonin. So when you see okay. sunlight, basically, I'm going to try and keep this very basic, the sunlight, the light, the UV and the sunlight breaks comes in through your eyes and breaks yeah. melatonin, which is your sleep hormone, and wakes the body up. Yeah. That's to get your cortisol levels to come up. So they're like in a seesaw. So a salt lamp is not a strong enough light to start breaking down your sleep hormone melatonin. So it's very gentle. It's very calming. It's very soothing. But when you're getting up overnight to multiple children, and you not multiple children, if you're getting up once or multiple times, or to multiple children, multiple children, yeah, <laughs> I think that still is pass. applicable. <laughs> yes, we feel you. It, it's very easy to go back to sleep, so that's why I have it. And it's, and for me, it has been a game. Like rather than a lamp, you turn on, it's like really startling and bright to your eyes. Yeah, just it's and I love it's bright enough to read at night but it's just like it's very warming and soft really good for that's the reason I got it and I just I love it it really has helped mm. for those times and hand cream Molita in food hand cream I'm as dry as a chip hands <laughs> all day so that's it it's as exciting as it gets do you have a water bottle or a glass of water no oh you don't gosh, no way I would be peeing all night Oh, my no. God, I always have water. Really? Well, your bed's yeah. table's next. So you yeah. Get it we might have to do another episode on that. I think so, too. I think we'll, um, yes. So, um, Awesome. Yeah. I love it. Oh, Thank you so much for sharing that with us. That's but- okay. I hope I haven't pushed my points too heavily, but <laughs> it's, um, they, they sit there for a long time, those books. Oh, so, so good. I love them. Nice to have a chat about it and it's, yeah. Yes. All right, listeners, thank you so much. Um, If you have any insight or like gold, gold books that you would love to preach from your soapbox as we have done in in this episode, please send us an email, hello at ifillyourcup.com or Jump onto Instagram. That's pretty much where we're at at the moment, at fillyourcup underscore. Let us know what's your favourite parenting book or book that's kind of like you've had the tears going down your face reading going, oh, gosh, if I knew that back when, that would be amazing. Or if you've had a great experience with one of the books that we've mentioned today, that would be also great. All right, then, till next time, see you later. Bye. If you loved this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. If you know someone out there who would also love to listen to this episode, please hit the share button so they can benefit from it as well. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. If you would like to contact us, we are at ifillyourcup.com or you can DM us at ifillyourcup underscore via Instagram. You can find all of our services, including our postpartum in-home care and our fill your freezer meal delivery service as well through both those channels. Thanks so much for listening.